From the heart of our nation's capital, here's Family Research Council President Tony Perkins. Hello, friends, and welcome to Washington Watch. I'm Joseph Backholm, sitting in for Tony today. So grateful that you have chosen to spend a few minutes with us for today's special education edition of Washington Watch. Few issues are more important than the education and discipleship of our children. And these days, few issues generate more passion than education policy. How do we give families more options? What are the best alternatives? Who should be in control of curriculum? Do government schools need to be reformed or abandoned or both? That's what we're going to discuss in today's program. We'll talk about why we're seeing growth in school choice programs around the country, and we'll talk about the growth in homeschooling as well, and whether that's possible for your family, even if you aren't a professional educator. And at the end of the program, we'll talk about the most important part of all of it. Education is not just about education. For Christians, it's about discipleship. Our job as Christian parents is to do everything we can to help our children grow to be disciples of Jesus, who then go on to make more disciples of Jesus. How can we do that most effectively? We're thankful you've joined us for this great conversation. So let's get started. Since the COVID-19 pandemic opened the eyes of many parents to the radical, hypersexual, and divisive content that has found its way into the curriculum across America's schools, there has been a lot more engagement by those concerned for our nation's children. All over the country, parents and concerned citizens have said, enough is enough. What kind of difference has this made in our education system so far? And so many of you are still looking for ways to make a difference in education. What should you be doing? What resources are available to help you do it? Joining me now with all the answers is FRC's Senior Fellow for Education Studies, Mae Kilgannon, who served in the U.S. Department of Education in the Trump administration. She joins me in studio. Meg, good to see you today. It's great to be here. Jesse. And I've already told everyone that you have all the answers, I... so our expectations are very high. I was I was alarmed at that description. <laughs> well, we're, we're optimistic. We we believe in you. And and Meg, to start off, um, th what's happened in the last couple of years? We know that uh, people have become much more engaged. People have learned things about the curriculum. We talk about CRT. We talk about what is legitimately pornography inside sex education curriculum. We we know that some many teachers are now teaching kids that they can change their gender if they want to. All of this has agitated parents who discovered that this was happening in many cases for the first time. They've begun to take action. We've seen elections determined. Uh, Virginia, that whole state, their, their political landscape got flipped because of this issue. We've seen people running for school boards. How would you describe the impact so far by the engagement from parents? Well, it's been overwhelming. And the, the, the proof of that is the fact that the Department of Justice um, agreed with the Department of Education and, and es essentially classified parents as, as you know, domestic terrorists for yeah. speaking out at school right. board meetings. So that tells you that the energy that's out there and the, the engagement of people in these affairs is having a significant impact. The, 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 the pandemic, the school closures, the, uh, the, the summer of riots during 2020, um, the the election, 
all of those things contributed to the waking up, essentially, of what had been a very trusting, I think, uh, citizenry. And we realized that the institutions that we built to educate our children had been overtaken by really, you know, progressive radicals, essentially. And so... When we when we engage in the system to try to reverse that, that's somehow seen as us fighting a culture yeah. war, right? We're we're starting a culture war when in fact we're just responding to the war that's being waged on our children. I think that's the correct characterization of this. Uh, you mentioned that one of the impacts, one of the results of the activism so far is that parents have earned the label of domestic terrorists uh, by the Department of Justice. And, of course, they've since walked that back significantly, so we should note that. But what other impacts have we seen policy-wise? Do you feel like school administrators at the federal to the local level are getting the message from parents? Or do you still see – do they still see parents as a problem that they need to solve? I think there's there's a certain level of viewing of parents as not quite being on the team in our education system today, and that's unfortunate. Um, I, I know that as a parent who I at one point homeschooled my kids, then we had children in Catholic school, we had children in public school, and the the attitude towards the parents in the public school uh, was very much we're the educators. We're, we're the experts. You're the parents. We're the experts. Let us handle the education. We've got this. Don't worry about what's happening here. We're, we're, we've got it well in hand because we're the experts and we know what's best for your kids. And yeah. it's been great to see that parents are no longer accepting that that uh, answer from, the, from the, their school. They understand parents, you are the best expert on your child and you know what's best for your child and you need to be engaged in the system mm -hmm. so that your wishes and your rights and your children's rights are respected in that system. Now, recently on Washington Watch, we've, we've highlighted the what's going on in the university system as well, specifically in the education programs and and how this really is being pushed in master's degree programs, the yes. education in, in universities, in education, as well as just uh, undergraduate programs that get teacher certification. In your opinion, can we solve the challenges that we see happening in our elementary and high schools without addressing the university system? Or are those so connected that in order to get the results we want in our local elementary school, we really have to reform our university system as well? We absolutely must have a pipeline of teachers who understand that their job is to educate children, not to indoctrinate them. Right. And the only way that can happen is if the teachers themselves have not been indoctrinated by a university system that is captured. And we're dealing right now with a situation where there are state funds being spent to indoctrinate students in, you know, racist ideology, queer theory, um, all of all of those things. And so this is a tremendous need to 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 reform that system, but also to make sure that our Christian colleges and universities are not similarly captured because we're all swimming in the same pool of yeah, educational unfortunately. resources, unfortunately. So the rot that's happening in in um, in the state state funded systems is going to impact our Christian colleges and universities. And we must be on guard and be very watchful of those so that the teachers that are coming out of those systems are truly different transformational uh, figures. I think there's 
uh, an awareness that this is a really long-term project we've yes. embarked on, right? The schools didn't get to the point where they were telling kindergartners that they can choose whether to be boys or girls overnight, right? right. That didn't happen like a Monday morning staff meeting. This is the new yeah. agenda, folks, right? Feels this took like a it, lo- but it took it a long time. It feels like it, but it took a long time, yes. right? And so the path back is also going to take yes. a, a long time. But if, if we've been on that path, uh, or maybe we've just started on that path for the last uh, 12, 24 months, wherever, however we want to refer to that. What are the signs of progress that you see? What, what's the evidence that you see that, that change is possible, change is happening, and that we really are on a journey to making things better? I, ha- I have two stories for you. One is a, is a um, an email that we got from our intercessor prayer team. And they had been contacted by a member of a school board in a state that we will not name who had asked for prayer. And um, particularly around the issue of uh, what the school policy would be regarding the use of pronouns as one example of the things that they that we'd been asked to pray for. And um, that had been a big, big debate on that school board. And we got got an email recently saying that, in fact, the superintendent announced that there would be no pronoun policy. We would not they would not be including pronouns in their emails and in their solicitations and that they weren't going to go down the path that was being advocated by the LGBT, uh, you know, incorporated that's out there right now for schools. So. That's a bit of evidence I have that things yeah. are things are changing. Then um, on yeah. one of our uh, resources on the frcaction.org/schools webpage is a, an election report from November of 2021, and um, it, on that report, Amy Covey from Kansas talked about her experience as a, as a candidate, and and shared some of her uh, thoughts about what she wanted to accomplish as then an elected school board member. Well. Um, to bring you up to speed, Amy was disappointed when the Kansas state legislature did not pass a parents' rights uh, protection bill, as so many states have in the last year. So she developed one that in the form of a school board resolution for her school system, and they passed it four to three. It was a contentious vote. It was a big debate, but she got that done. And we are hearing story after story about things like that, Joseph, where the, the people who felt called by God to run for office and who have answered that call and run are able in, in some cases to make really big contributions on behalf of, of children and American values. And that is exactly why we're encouraging people to be engaged at the local level. It's so important and so consequential. And I think because we have to play the long game in this, we're talking thousands of school districts across the country. It might even be tens of thousands of school districts. 14,000. Okay, 14,000. And it's the, the little things that moms and dads and grandparents are just kind of taking up in, in their little part of the garden yes. that begins to make the difference. And what you don't see is because it's school district and school board one at a time – that doesn't happen overnight. Right. You don't see the impact of that change overnight. Um, but what we what we know is that we will not see the change that we're looking for if people are not uh, doing that. And Meg, I want to ask you this question because you track these things closely. If you could change one thing about our our education system, uh, whether it's the environment or the system itself, what would that be that you think would would uh, create a better result for our system? 
Well, I, I think I would strengthen the family, first of all, because yeah. when children are going into school uh, from a from a, a broken home, from a, a family that's struggling, whether that's economically or emotionally or whatever it is, um, you're you're that the, that's not you're, you're going to have a problem from from go. Uh, so right. if we have strong families, that means that parents are able to be engaged at the school system. It means that they are they are regarded as as the 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 resource for their children that they should be and not able to be demeaned by educators in that sense. Right. And so um, I think that that would be the one thing I would improve. Well, that and that fixes so many things, right? It fixes <laughs> it the education problem, but the the trickle down impact, impact effect of that is uh, cannot be overstated. But Meg, for those who are watching who want to do something about this, they they've been motivated. What resources are are you offering? The FRC is offering to help parents and families really make a difference in their local community when it comes to the education system. We have we have tons of things on our website at frcaction.org/schools. So please visit there, especially a new fundraising web uh, resource on if you're thinking of running for school board, how can you raise money for your campaign? Meg Kilgannon, as always, we appreciate your wisdom and your time today. Thanks so much for being with us. Thanks for having me. And we are going to continue this and do check out those resources because you really are the solution. We are both the problem and the solution. And if it's if we don't like the way it is, we've got to do something about it. Coming up next in our education special conversation, school choice has become all the rage, a lot more choice. We're going to talk about why that is. Where's this choice coming from? What is the best choice? And as always, what can you do about it? Stay with us here on Washington Watch. Would you like to spend consistent time in God's word? Then join Family Research Council on an exciting journey through the Bible. FRC's two-year Bible reading plan helps you to approach daily Bible reading intentionally. You will dive deeper into the nature of God and how His Word speaks into cultural issues of today. All wisdom comes from God, and He has given us the Bible as a way to understand the world. His Word is necessary in our lives, so much so that Christ said, we are to live on every word that comes from the mouth of God. He calls it our daily bread because we need it daily to sustain us and nourish us spiritually, just like food does physically. Start this adventure today with Family Research Council. When you sign up, we'll text you with daily passages and questions that help prepare you for conversations with your friends and family. To begin this journey, visit frc.org slash Bible. First Peter 3.15 instructs us to always be prepared to give an answer to everyone who asks for a reason for the hope that we have. The mission of FRC's online center for biblical worldview is to carry out that first by training Christians to advance and defend the faith in their families, communities, and the public square, as now more than ever, we need to be grounded in the truth of God's word. The Center for Biblical Worldview provides amazing written resources for a wide range of relevant issues, including biblical stances on voting, religious liberty, abortion, marriage, and sexuality. Each of these topics comes as a free downloadable PDF version, abbreviated version, and Spanish translation, along with a prayer guide. To access this written series or to sign up for the Center for Biblical Worldview's monthly newsletter, visit frc.org slash worldview. 
Did you know that from as early as 12 weeks, and certainly by 20 weeks, an unborn child can feel pain? Did you know the issue of pornography is growing among women? Did you know that pornography, sex trafficking, and abortion are all linked and on the rise across the globe? Issues such as pornography, human trafficking, drug legalization, and abortion are all violations of human dignity and have resulted in the devaluation of human life in our culture. Family Research Council stands firm on the principle that every life has value, ought to be respected, and has been designed for a unique purpose. Educate yourself on the harms of pornography, human trafficking, and abortion so that you can offer hope and help. Learn more at frc.org forward slash life. Welcome to Washington Watch. I'm Joseph Backholm sitting in for Tony today. And this is a special education edition of Washington Watch. And you can find this in every episode of Washington Watch at TonyPerkins.com. Since COVID-19 hit America in early 2020, a growing number of parents have decided to reroute the educational paths of their children. In the two years following the outbreak of COVID, more than 1.2 million students left America's public school system. Major U.S. cities in particular have seen notable declines in public school enrollment. Now, if you are a parent of a child in the public school system and are thinking about venturing outside for the first time, what options are available to you? With me here to talk about it is Ginny Gentles, the director of the Education Freedom Center at the Independent Women's Forum. Ginny served as a senior political appointee in the U.S. Department of Education under President George W. Bush. She also led the Florida Department of Education's Office of Independent Education and Parental Choice. Ginny, good to see you today. Hello, good to see you. Now, to start, I mentioned the 1.2 million children who have left the public school system since COVID began. Where do they all go? Well, unfortunately, there are uh, too many children who are unaccounted for, and they just left the system and have have disappeared. And these are generally the low-income kids, um, kids who were being very poorly served by the government system before COVID and then were abandoned by the system. So there are quite a few students that we uh, can't account for that school districts just don't know where they went. But there are a number of students um, who have had uh, happy endings um, to their education tale, and they've ended up in charter schools, in faith-based private schools, and in homeschooling or micro-schooling environments. And these are alternatives that existed, again, before COVID, um, but parents um, were pushed and incentivized to go find them and enroll their children, and, um, and that's where their kids have landed. For those parents who are finding other options, is there is there one option that most parents are flocking to? Is it the, an, an even distribution between homeschool and private school and charter schools? What's the ratio? Well, what it looks like is that charter school enrollment went up by 7% um, before this past school year. So as, as kids uh, were enrolled in the, the government assigned public schools, uh, the parents looked around and realized, hey, the charter schools in my area, which are also publicly funded, are open and are prioritizing academics. We want to 
put our kid over there. And so for the charter schools that did not have waiting lists, parents were able to move over to these public charter schools. And so we saw a 7% increase across the board for charter school enrollment nationwide. Catholic school enrollment saw increases for the first time in um two decades, and the largest increase in 50 years. And uh, I, I believe the increase was somewhere around 3.8% overall. Um, but you, you could look at some areas of the country and see much higher increases of Catholic school enrollment. And so charter school enrollment, very high increase, Catholic school enrollment, high as well. And then homeschooling went through the roof. Um, the, the numbers doubled in the in the midst of the pandemic, parents just said, never mind, I'm not doing this remote education anymore. And they went to, to homeschooling. And, and so that increased um, so that about 11% of households were um, homeschooling. So really, I can't tell you which one uh, got the most. It seems like it is a pretty even spread across the different options. And we are in our next segment going to delve into the homeschool situation. But you mentioned there the, the growth in charter schools. And one of the obvious benefits of charter schools is that they are also publicly funded. It doesn't require a family to pay tuition. Uh, but we've also seen a growth and expansion of school choice programs. Two years ago, West Virginia passed what was at that time the most comprehensive school choice bill in the country. Arizona this year has passed an even more comprehensive uh, school choice bill. Ohio looks be doing precisely what Arizona uh, just did. Do you think we're on a on the verge of a total reform in the way we do education in the country? I think we're in the midst of it. Uh, 2021 really was the year of school choice, and we saw close to 20 states either expand or create new private school choice options. Uh, before the pandemic, there were only five states with education savings accounts, and we can delve into what those are. And uh, now there are 10. And as you mentioned, Arizona has a universal education savings account program. That's huge. Uh, the program went from serving a quarter of the state students to all of them. So over 1 million Arizona students are eligible to, for these education savings accounts. They can access funds and uh, enroll in the, in the education option that's the best fit for them. Um, so we're in the midst of uh, a remaking of the way that education is, is funded, and uh, the shift is underway to fund students rather than systems and to ensure that the, the funding flows um, with the student and follows the student to the best education option to meet their needs. Or right, speaking with Ginny Gentles, Ginny, where do you see the biggest growth happening in the next few years? We've talked about these range of options. There's charter, there's public, there's homeschooling. It, it, what, what's your projection about the future? Uh, I absolutely think that we're going to see a growth in the education savings account as a mechanism for funding these options. So to step back from which option is going to get the most funding, I think that the, the priority should be on how the funding flows and that education is savings account, the ability for a family to access the state funding um, and draw down funds from an account. I think that's where we're going to see the, the growth. There's no way that Governor DeSantis is going to let Arizona be the head of uh, 
the leader in school choice options. I think that we'll probably see something like universal ESAs in Florida, which is already a huge school choice state. Um, but really, um, if we're looking, drilling down a little and looking at the different school choice options, I think that there's going to be a significant increase in faith-based private schools, and uh, we can keep an eye on that. I, I mentioned the Catholic schools, but let's acknowledge that two-thirds of the 30,000 private schools in the U.S. are faith-based, and those are schools that are going to prioritize academics. They're going to prioritize character, discipline, all the things that have been thrown out the window in the government education system, and you know that parents are flocking to those options now and just need those education savings accounts and other mechanisms to do that. Jeannie, in about 15 seconds, where can parents go to get more information about the situation in their school or about in their state, excuse me, about school choice? Well, I encourage parents to follow our Education Freedom Center, iwf.org slash EFC. I also encourage them to go to National School Choice Week or American Federation for Children for state-by-state breakdowns on all the education options that are available in their states. Ginny Gentles, thank you so much for your time. Thank you. Coming up, the homeschooling movement has also seen a lot of growth. We'll talk about whether that's a good option for you when we come back here on Washington Watch. Are you a university student? Do you know a university student, specifically one who wants to grow as a Christian leader to positively influence public policy and the culture? Look no further. Family Research Council has a life-changing 12 to 15 week internship program that has prepared and equipped students to take the next step in their professional journey. With a speaker series focusing on careers and callings, lectures from prominent conservative leaders, and weekly biblical worldview training, Students will grow in personal and professional development. Interns have the opportunity to work in policy, communications, event planning, and more. They will gain real-world experience working directly with our experts who will guide them in pursuing careers of influence so that they can make a difference wherever God calls. This paid internship offers fully funded housing in the heart of downtown D.C., giving you the chance to experience our nation's capital. Visit frc.org slash internships to apply. What is biblical masculinity? In our culture of gender confusion, there aren't many examples of godly manhood. Men, husbands, and fathers need to find a model of godly manhood, leadership, and strength. But where can they find it in our culture? Stand Courageous Men's Ministry was created to help men find this model of godly manhood and to develop a strong biblical character, cultivate positive habits, build and rebuild relationships, and make commitments that will move men closer to God's good purpose and design. Men who will stand courageous. Join us at a Stand Courageous Men's Conference to discuss critical aspects of masculinity. These conferences are led by men who understand the issues men face. They unpack our role as a defender, provider, instructor, and battle buddy so that we can make an influence as a chaplain inside and outside the home. Learn more and find a Stand Courageous event near you at StandCourageous.com. Welcome back to Washington Watch. I'm Joseph Backholm, and you are watching a special education edition of Washington Watch. The coronavirus pandemic sparked a dramatic increase in homeschooling across the nation and really around the world. The trend of parents opting to go into full homeschool mode even caught the attention 
of the Associated Press, which published an article a year ago titled, quote, Sparked by Pandemic Fallout, Homeschooling Surges Across the U.S. Some researchers at the time predicted the number of parents homeschooling would decrease significantly after the schools fully opened, but it appears the percentage has remained quite stable. So if you're currently homeschooling, know that you are part of a growing movement. And if you're thinking about it, well, my next guest has some insights that may be helpful to you. Joining me now is Jim Mason, president of the Homeschool Legal Defense Association. Jim, welcome to Washington Watch. Well, thank you. It's a pleasure to be with you. You've been in this homeschooling game for a long time. Based on that perspective, how do you see the pandemic and the events of the last couple of years impacting homeschooling in America? Well, as you mentioned, uh, a lot of people began homeschooling because of the pandemic um, when everybody was staying home, including children and parents. And the biggest effect is that a lot of people who kind of chose homeschooling for reasons other than um, education, discovered that they really liked it, that they really enjoyed having their kids uh, with them and to be present during those learning moments. So we're seeing a lot of people stick with homeschooling that uh, may not have even started if, if it hadn't been for the pandemic. Jim, how many of those people who started during the pandemic have continued? That's a really good question, and the data is kind of just now coming in. Sometime in the middle of the pandemic, the Census Bureau started keeping track of households that had homeschooled children. And about this time last year, it was 11% of households had at least one child homeschooling. And the data just out this month shows that it's about 9%. Now, a lot of people are just entering the school year, so in the coming weeks and months, we'll learn more about how many stuck with it. But it appears that quite a few did. Now, a lot of people uh, were schooling at home because that was the only option that they had. And many were, were still trying to remote learn uh, using their local classroom and their, some, oftentimes their public school. Has the definition of homeschool changed in any of this? And is any of that influencing our, our perception that homeschooling has changed? Or is this uh, exclusively a function of people who have just withdrawn from the government system and now they're educating at home? Well, the definition of homeschooling is kind of a fluid thing. People who teach their kids at home, um, you know, think of themselves as homeschooling almost, uh, you know, for sure. Um, we, we advocate for a, a version of homeschooling that's privately funded, private homeschooling. Uh, what the pandemic did, though, was it unleashed a lot of entrepreneurial spirit and a lot of new innovative approaches to education, even kind of private uh, approaches to teaching your own kids. So learning pods and things like that were not really a thing before the pandemic. So uh, a, a lot of, and, you know, and we, we, we at Homeschool Legal Defense really uh, support private options uh, where parents are really directly involved in the education of their children. And some of those things look a little different today. Yeah. Now, a lot of parents who might be watching today, they love the idea of homeschool, but they feel totally unequipped themselves to do it. They just feel like, you know, that's for other people. I can't pull this off. What would you say to them? I would say if you're interested and dedicated, that you would be surprised at just how able you are to do it. Almost everyone I know 
back in the day, began homeschooling with a similar attitude. Even those who were very uh, interested and committed to it, uh, my wife and I, for example, you know, 30 years ago, said, well, we'll try this for a year and see how it goes. And once you get started, it's not as hard as you think, especially if you're really committed to it. And just the joy that you get from doing it will sustain you in those outer years. So we ended up homeschooling seven children from start to finish. But we started out trying it one year at a time. Yeah. And and Jim, tell us a bit more than that. You obviously have a lot of experience with this seven children. What would you say are the benefits of homeschooling? Oh, gosh, probably the single most uh, important benefit is the relationships you develop with your children. Um, I encourage people not to think of homeschooling as kind of a little public school at home, but just having your kids be around you all day long and relationships with siblings and neighbors and others um, in your social, um, you know, church groups and the like. It's it's really uh, the biggest benefit from my perspective is my seven children and my wife and I are just as close as you could be. Um, I have seven adult children now and Um, our, the siblings all really care for each other a lot, as well as their mom and dad. And they've all done fine educationally too, and pursuing, you know, good careers, but those relationships are hard to replace. Yeah, that is the truth. And I think that's the the hope of every parent is that their kids will love each other and the family uh, when they are adults. But Jim, very quickly, in about 30 seconds, where would you send parents who are looking for more information, more resources, who may want to do this for themselves? Our website at Homeschool Legal Defense Association, hslda.org, is just a treasure trove of all kinds of information, how to get started, helpful webinars on a vast array of topics, lots of help getting started legally, so you make sure you follow your state's laws to avoid difficulties. That's hslda.org, and we have getting started helps all sorts of things. Jim Mason, thank you so much for your time. It's hslda.org. Check it out. When we come back, it's not just about education. It's about discipleship. Whatever you choose, we're going to talk about how to disciple your children best. Stay with us here on Washington Watch. What is biblical masculinity? In our culture of gender confusion, there aren't many examples of godly manhood. Men, husbands, and fathers need to find a model of godly manhood, leadership, and strength. But where can they find it in our culture? Stand Courageous Men's Ministry was created to help men find this model of godly manhood and to develop a strong biblical character, cultivate positive habits, build and rebuild relationships, and make commitments that will move men closer to God's good purpose and design. Men who will stand courageous. Join us at a Stand Courageous Men's Conference to discuss critical aspects of masculinity. These conferences are led by men who understand the issues men face. They unpack our role as a defender, provider, instructor, and battle buddy so that we can make an influence as a chaplain inside and outside the home. Learn more and find a Stand Courageous event near you at StandCourageous.com. With the increase in tech censorship of conservatives and Christians, Family Research Council created a tech subscription platform to be sure we don't go completely dark due to censorship. It is important to us that we stay connected with you and that you stay informed. So if we get canceled, you can still access updates on faith, family, and freedom. How? 
Just text STAND to 67742 to sign up for our text alerts, and you will get FRC's content straight to your phone. Again, just text STAND to 67742, and you will get alerts on the biggest stories of the day. With just a simple text, always have access to our content and stay informed and connected with like-minded community. Text STAND to 67742. That's STAND to 67742. Are you a university student? Do you know a university student, specifically one who wants to grow as a Christian leader to positively influence public policy and the culture? Look no further. Family Research Council has a life-changing 12 to 15 week internship program that has prepared and equipped students to take the next step in their professional journey. With a speaker series focusing on careers and callings, lectures from prominent conservative leaders, and weekly biblical worldview training, students will grow in personal and professional development. Interns have the opportunity to work in policy, communications, event planning, and more. They will gain real-world experience working directly with our experts who will guide them in pursuing careers of influence so that they can make a difference wherever God calls. This paid internship offers fully funded housing in the heart of downtown D.C., giving you the chance to experience our nation's capital. Visit frc.org slash internships to apply. Welcome back to Washington Watch. I'm Joseph back home sitting in for Tony today, and this is a special education edition of Washington Watch, and we're so glad to have you with us. Throughout today's show, we've been highlighting the various options that are out there for parents who want to set their children on the right educational path. And whatever your current educational plan is, Christian parents know the goal is not just to help them be competent in reading, writing, and arithmetic. It isn't just to get our children out of high school without a criminal record. The goal of parenting is to create disciples of Jesus, and this cannot be done without instilling in them a biblical worldview. Our, child, our children need the ability to hear ideas expressed with good intentions by people they like and be able to discern whether those ideas are true or not. But we don't just want our kids to not believe lies. We need them to be equipped to cast down every high thing that exalts itself against the knowledge of God. How do we do that for our kids? Joining me now for this discussion is Dr. David McDonald. He has many things, but most importantly, one of the best fathers I know. Dr. McDonald, good to see you today. It's great to be uh, with you here, Joseph. So we've been having a conversation about education today, and we've talked about uh, the landscape politically, uh, the school choice options that are developing. We've talked about uh, the growth we've seen in homeschooling and the benefit that provides to families. But there are people watching and listening from a range of different perspectives. And what I want to drill down here in my time with you is understanding that this isn't just about education. It isn't just about making sure that our kids are, are, are good at sentence structure. What do you see as the primary distinction between educating our kids and discipling our kids? The, the difference I think that we need to make, and I often use the word schooling. See, I think education is almost synonymous with discipleship. And the reason I say that is that teaching 
is so integral to the gospel. So if we go to Matthew 28, it says, go therefore and make disciples of all nations. So within becoming a disciple, you see baptizing them in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, and then teaching them to observe all that I've commanded you. So within this definition of discipleship, we see education is a component. So education is part of discipleship and discipleship is integral to the gospel. We need to have an understanding that the gospel is more than, you know, what many would define as classic evangelism. The gospel involves teaching the whole counsel of God. David, how do you feel that America's Christian parents are doing in this respect? Well, I'm going to focus more on the Christian than I am going to focus on that. And George Barna has done a terrific job um, in just kind of laying out where we are. Um, the the last polls that I saw, about 30% of professing Christian youth are now identifying with LGBTQ uh, culture. It's not that they're sympathetic toward it. It's that they're actually part of it. And so the, the challenge is, um, you know, Satan is just as active as he is within the church as he is without, um, but we have antidotes to that. So I would say right now uh, where the pendulum is swinging is we've got a lot of work to do. Yeah. And what would you describe as the, as the biggest obstacle to the effective discipleship of kids by parents? You know, I think one of the first things is, and Meg touched on it in your first segment, and that's the role and the importance of family. So we need to go back to have a proper biblical view of what, you know, blessing is, just starting with some basic Christian doctrine and to see the importance that, you know, children are a blessing. Genesis says, and God blessed them. And he said, be fruitful and multiply. We get in Psalms that children are the heritage of the Lord. Grandchildren are a crown of the aged. I want to actually, on that, it, it makes me think, and I'm going to pull up uh, something that was written in Mein Kampf. And I want you to see the value that Hitler placed on children. Listen to what he says. He says, the state must proclaim that the child is the most valuable possession a people can have. In this matter, the state must assert itself as the trustee of a millennial future in the face of which egotistical desire of the individual count for nothing and will give way before the ruling of the state. So let me change that a little bit. Apathy toward the influences that are in classic education, and I don't mean classical education, I mean just public education, that apathy has allowed this 16,000 hours that kids go through um, and gives them a anti-biblical worldview. And a lot of that is as families, we need to proclaim. So let me reread this. The family and church must proclaim the truth that the child is the most valuable possession we have. In this matter, the family and the church must assert itself as the trustee in the face of which our personal egotistical desires count for nothing and give way before the glory of God. And so I think one of the largest things that we're facing is kind of a, um, a narcissist, so to speak, a narcissistic Christianity 
that doesn't say everything is toward making disciples. It's toward self-fulfillment. How can we be happy and following um, really an anti-biblical view of blessing? You know, that quote that you read there from uh, Mein Kampf, which obviously Hitler wrote, is I, I think it brings it home for us to, to understand uh, that there are people who are not our friends who see our children as very, very valuable assets in, in their movement. And I think sometimes the people who are not the parents of our children see our children as more valuable than we do. And perhaps um, we take them for granted in the opportunity uh, represented by the fact that we can we, we can help them grow and teach them and, and, and put in their minds truth that will guide them into the future. And there are other people who also want to do that with our children. So it's not a it, it, there's no neutral ground there that either we are the ones providing that influence or someone else is happy to do so. In fact, President Biden has even recently talked about the fact that we are in the battle, in a battle, for the soul of our nation. Uh, do you think that's a fair way to characterize it when we're talking about what's happening uh, with our kids, in particular the, the skirmishes over classrooms? Yeah, actually, I think he almost undersells it. He understands something just so clearly that the next generation teaching the next generation is essentially where all of this is. This comes straight from scripture. Jesus said in Luke, he says, can a blind man lead a blind man? Will they both not fall into a pit? But listen to this. A disciple is not above his teacher, but everyone when he's fully trained will be like his teacher. So what Biden realizes is if he can train teachers to teach these students with this worldview, he will capture the soul. This has happened throughout the Old Testament. We see it in Judges. It says another generation rose after them that didn't know the Lord, and they did evil in their sight. Hosea 4 says the same thing. He said, my people are destroyed from a lack of knowledge because they have rejected knowledge. I will reject them from being a priest yeah. to me. But listen to the warning. And since you have forgotten the law of your God, I will forget your children. So this is something that's happened over and over again. And leaders who want to change everything, they step back and they see, you know what? I know how to do this. And that's what Biden is doing. And, and, and this is a really important point about um, the, the the competition that there is. What are the primary influence? And, and you mentioned there that passage in Luke about how they become like their teachers. And what parents need to understand is that your children are going to become like your teachers, whether they want to be or not. And increasingly, we have to investigate whether our parents' teachers, or rather our children's teachers, rather, are someone that hate us as their parents. There are a growing number of teachers who are who confidently and and loudly despise the parents of the children that they are teaching, yet somehow we continue to send our children to their classrooms, and eventually uh, we're watching our children become like their teachers because they had a bigger influence on our children than we did. But Dr. McDonald, in addition uh, to the the teachers in classrooms, what are some of the other primary influences for young people other than the church and their parents? Yeah, so I, I would do the, the first one, obviously, is the family, which we've already mentioned. The, the church, but sadly, you know, the church, the average uh, family only spends about 40 hours a year in church. Yeah. 
without a doubt, the 16 hour thousand hours that they're spending in education being discipled in that manner. But there's also a different aspect of discipleship that's happening in a peer group that everyone's aware of. And so the influences that they're taking in through social media, through TikTok, um, you look at the research study that Brown University did on transgenderism. And you see that transgenderism is primarily a peer group. And then you see how social media and mass media propagates that. So there's influences everywhere. I love what you said is there's no neutrality. We need to look at everything. We need to be a both. And we need to say, hey, we need to be good teachers. We need to be good stewards of uh, social media. We need to be careful with the kind of things our kids are hearing at church, what things we're partaking in, music. It, I would say everything has an influence on our kids, and we need to have, uh, as parents, we need to not abdicate that responsibility and, and apathy, really, but we need to be really aware of what's happening and protect our children. Yeah. A lot of parents feel like they, they, take, they, they care, they take their children to church, they take them to Sunday school. When they ask them the questions, they know that Jesus is the son of God. They know that uh, Joseph had a coat of many colors and the animals walked under the ark two by two. So they feel like there's some biblical knowledge there that's going to ground them. When it comes to the discipleship of our children, is it is it a function of knowing the answers to the questions about what God said to us in the Bible? Is that all that there is to discipleship? So I think it's, again, I'm going to use that term, both and. So it says that the knowledge of God leads to godliness. So we have to have a foundation of what the Bible says. I have a good friend, uh, his name is Pastor Nate Sweeney. He says there's a lot of times two problems. He says one of the problems is, is we don't know what the Bible says. And then the second problem is we don't want to do what it says. So there's a question of both knowledge and then the will. So I may know what's best for my children, but I may not want to follow through. I'm tired. I'm grumpy. I would rather not sacrifice what it would take to put my kids, for example, if you want to put them in private education. And so I think knowledge and the will is coupled together. But when we get those two right, the Bible is uh, quite clear that God is faithful in those uh, areas. Do you think it's fair to say, in, in light of that, that, the challenges we're seeing with our young people are really a function of the challenges with the parents, and that if we get the parents committed to the right thing, that the children will come along? I, I think that we, it, ultimately, I would say the responsibility lies with the parents, but this is a, such a difficult task, and this is why the church is so important. So there's a lot of things I can't keep track of, and and I do this essentially full time of a lot of these influence that are happening around parenting and things like that. And so this requires um, basically great parenting, great churches and great accessory tools that will come in and help the family. And so one of the things that we're excited to see is there's a lot of families out there who are split families are divorced. And one of the ways churches are coming along, if, if, for example, there's a single mother and she has kids and they can't afford to remove their kids from 
a public public school. Churches are now opening up little micro schools where it's essentially a home school within the church. There's a number of things. And so um, I really feel for the uh, challenges parents are facing today in discipling their children and getting them to move forward. Now, David, we've got just over a minute left here, but if there's a pastor watching, somebody who's part of a church, they want to be part of the solution, where would you send them if they're saying, yeah, I want to be part of the the schooling, the education, discipleship of of the young people in my church, I want to help my kids do that well if it's a parent, where would you send them to learn how to do that? So one of the first things is there's a number of great homeschool groups. They're more than welcome to reach out to me. Um, I can be reached at worldviewcommons at gmail.com. We do, um, in fact, uh, Joseph and I are doing a seminar, uh, two-day Worldview Summit in October. And so reach out via FRC. Uh, again, you can reach me through worldviewcommons at gmail.com, and we can get in contact and um, basically get all the resources that they would want. Yeah. And those resources do exist, friends, and we encourage you. Really, we just want you to understand how important you as parents are to this job. And that, that, again, there's no neutral ground. Uh, If it's not us influencing our kids, other people are eager to do so. And they might be influences that you're not going to be excited about. But Dr. McDonald, thank you for your time today. As always, your diligence on this issue. And we look forward to talking to you down the road. All right. God bless. You have a great day. God bless you. And friends... Thank you for joining us for this special education edition of Washington Watch. We hope this has been helpful to you. One reminder, remind you that you can watch this at your convenience or send it to somebody by going to TonyPerkins.com. That is our show for today. Parents, remember, it is your job primarily to be the influence for your children. Pray, be diligent, don't be lazy, never give up. Nothing is more important. We'll see you next time here on Washington Watch. Until then, fear God and nothing else. Washington Watch with Tony Perkins is brought to you by Family Research Council and is entirely listener-supported. Portions of the show discussing candidates are brought to you by Family Research Council Action. For more information on anything you've heard today or to find out how you can partner with us in our ongoing efforts to promote faith, family, and freedom, visit TonyPerkins.com. Also, to leave a comment about Washington Watch, call our watch line at 1-866-372-7234. That's 1-866-372-7234. 